0: I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2. Book of Acts chapter 2. If you are looking in the Pew Bible, you should find it on page 1159. Acts chapter 2. It's unfortunate, but I don't think our kids um, will ever have the experience of watching a movie so many times that they literally wear out the VHS tape. Um, I'm pretty sure I did that with at least two movies that I can remember when I was a kid. The first was uh, The Sword and the Stone. You'd pop it in the you know, VCR and it would just immediately start to about 10 minutes in and just the first 10 minutes were gone. And the other one was The Princess Bride. Now a common denominator between those two movies, in case you haven't seen them, Sword fighting. So that was obviously something I was obsessed with as a kid. Uh, The Princess Bride is is one of the most quotable movies that's ever been made. I thought about a line, I kept thinking about this line from that film this week. There's a character named uh, Vicini who repeatedly exclaims, Inconceivable! And uh, at one point, another character in the film named Inigo responds to him, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And um, I thought about that line this week because the past few weeks we've been going through this series called Shift, Resetting Our Idea of a Healthy Church, and I've essentially been playing the role of Anigo Montoya, which must sound really bizarre to Rebecca as she walks in right now. Um, I've been playing the role of Inigo Montoya, not in the sense that I'm looking for revenge, but in the sense that we've been taking words like ministry and worship and outreach, and I've been simply posing the question to us, do those words mean what we think they mean? More specifically, when we use words like ministry and worship and outreach, do we mean the same thing that God means when He speaks those words in Scripture? This morning, we're going to take up another word, the word fellowship. And like those other words, fellowship is one that if we're not careful we can essentially shrink down the meaning of it in our mind to where we think it means much less than what it actually means in Scripture. And so we want to take a step back this morning and just ask the simple question, what is biblical fellowship? That's what we're going to attempt to do together this morning. So let's read in Acts 2. We're going to begin in verse 42. Acts 2 verse 42. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Um, because it's your word, it carries your trustworthiness and authority. And uh, so we're thankful for that. We're thankful. God, I, I'm especially thankful this morning that I don't have to rely on my cleverness or my charisma. Um, or anything like that, but Lord, we can just all lean on your word, the authority of it, the truth of it. God, help us this morning um, as we consider what biblical fellowship is. God, that we would submit any preconceived ideas we have about fellowship to what you have to say about it in your word. Help us to, uh, to come under that authority. And We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do right at the outset is I want to attempt to give us a definition of fellowship that I think is biblical from which we can work this morning. And then I want to show you where I see that in God's Word. So here's the definition that we're going to work with today. Biblical fellowship is partnership and participation with other believers. Partnership and participation with other believers the phrase that we're going to zero in on this morning is in verse 42 where Luke says, and they, which the they there is referring to the spirit-filled believers uh, who were present at Pentecost, the, 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 the Christians in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's the phrase we're going to focus on. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word translated as fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which means participation or sharing. It's from the same root as the phrase in verse 44. If you look at verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That phrase in common and the phrase fellowship, the word fellowship, they come from the same Root word. So fellowship is about togetherness, not just physical togetherness. It's not just about being together, but it's about spiritual togetherness. It means that we have things in common, that we are in this together, so to speak. And so, as we're trying to define fellowship, it you know maybe the first place for us to start, especially since we are um, Baptists, is uh, to say that it's more than eating. Right. I mean, that's when we think about fellowship. If we're honest, that's a lot of what we think about. We have a, a a room in this very church building called the fellowship hall. And what do we primarily do in the fellowship hall? We eat. Right. Um, that's the eating place. And so that's good. Okay. I'm not suggesting that there's that eating is not important. Uh, God has designed us to build relationships through sharing a common meal. In fact, if you think about what was one of the complaints that some of the religious leaders made about Jesus, He eats with the tax collectors and sinners. So there was something that they found particularly offensive about that. There's something very powerful about eating. Praise God. You know. And you can hear how important meals were to the early church. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which is primarily a reference to the Lord's Supper. And verse 46 says that breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they took the Lord's Supper together publicly, but also throughout the course of their life, they shared other meals together. So eating together is one expression of biblical fellowship, but there is more to it than that. Their fellowship was also expressed through sharing their resources, praying together, devoting themselves to God's Word together. So sharing Common meals is a way that we express our fellowship, but we cannot say that fellowship equals eating. Eating is an expression of it, but it's, there's more to it than that. So we need to be careful. We don't shrink fellowship down to where it only means eating. Biblical fellowship is about sharing a common identity. That There, there may be things that we have in common, but the most important thing we have in common is that we are in Christ and it means that we share common goals. That we're working toward the same thing. We can partner together to work toward the same goal. So it's partnership and participation with other believers. That's where I get that definition from. So now that we have that definition in our mind, biblical fellowship is partnership and participation with other believers. I want to lay out five purposes of biblical fellowship and this is going to help us to clarify what biblical fellowship is and what it is not. So, five purposes of biblical fellowship. First, the first purpose of biblical fellowship is sanctification. The purpose of fellowship is sanctification. Now, sanctification simply refers to the process of growing more like Christ. Sanctification means that I have been declared righteous, just as righteous as Jesus is righteous by grace through faith, that because I've trusted in Him, God looks at me and He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. Not because I am truly righteous, but because He declares me to be by grace. Sanctification means that once God has done that in my life, once He has declared me to be righteous, He then begins to make me become more righteous, And so, sanctification is that process of becoming more like Jesus. And what I want us to see together this morning is that that process of sanctification is not just a personal pursuit. It's something the church must pursue together. Now, of course, no believer can be responsible for another believer's sanctification. Uh, if, If I could figure out how to do that, I could probably become the best pastoral guru in the country if I could tell all the other pastors in the country, here's how you can make your people sanctified, and here's how you can make yourself sanctified. If if I could come to your house and make you put off sin and put on righteousness, I would do it. Um, But I can't. I, I can't do that. I can't I can't come to your house and hold your hand and force you to read your Bible every day or pray or any of those kind of things. At the same time, however, None of us are meant to make this journey alone. This journey of sanctification is not something that we're meant to walk on our own. Notice the togetherness you hear in Acts 2. When Luke says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, he doesn't mean that individually, that all the individuals went to one of the apostles and and listened each week. He means that together they corporately devoted themselves to hearing the Word of God proclaimed. The breaking of bread and the prayers, those are things that the church did not just individually but together. And I also want you to notice a small but significant word in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and what? What? The fellowship. Notice the word the. Luke does not merely say that they devoted themselves to fellowship, but that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. In other words, they devoted themselves to the church. Throughout my life, I have been taught the importance of personal devotion, personal quiet time, personal prayer, and so on. And I'm thankful for that emphasis. I know that it comes from a good place. Um, the point is we don't need to lean on the devotion of our parents or our past or anyone else, but that we each need to pursue Christ's likeness But we need to be careful that we don't begin to think of personal devotion as a substitute for a corporate devotion. Those two things are not substitutes for one another. They are multipliers for one another. In our effort to emphasize personal devotion... We need to be careful that we don't de-emphasize what a church does together. This has always been the case, or at least in my lifetime it's always been the case, but it's increasingly true that I can practice personal devotion all on my own. I can pray all by myself. I have access to, I mean, literally almost endless resources of of good Christian music that I can listen to on my own. Uh, I can certainly listen to much better preaching than is preached in this pulpit. I could go out and get you know CDs, podcasts. I can listen to some of the best preachers in the world every week if I wanted to. And I could do that all on my own. The problem is that's not biblical Christianity. That's not what the church did. That's not what the church has done throughout history. When you look over the course of history, Christians have consistently emphasized three categories of spiritual discipline. Scripture intake. So in that category would be things like Bible reading, meditation, memorization, listening to sermons, that sort of thing. Prayer, so and that would include obviously personal prayer, corporate prayer, fasting, songs of praise or oftentimes just sung prayers to God. And then fellowship, being around other believers. Now people have different lists, uh, but you can pretty much file everything under one of those headings. Now what I want us to think about is how all three of those categories intersect in the local church. We gather together to hear God's Word. We practice Scripture intake together. We study it, memorize it, meditate on it, sing it. We gather together to pray with one voice and to sing praises to God, to lift our voices in unity to Him. And we gather together to fellowship, to encourage and demonstrate love to one another. So my point is, uh, we certainly need to care about personal devotion, but we also need to see how all of those things intersect and come together in the gathering of the local church. It's good for us to promote the practice of personal devotion, but it's not a substitute, it's a multiplier. So we need to see that personal devotion and corporate devotion supplement and multiply one another. Sanctification is not only a personal pursuit, it's also something we pursue together. So the first purpose of biblical fellowship is sanctification. Second, the second purpose of biblical fellowship is endurance. Endurance. Simply to say that if you have tried for any length of time to be sanctified, you have found that you come up against uh, uh, resistance. And that resistance is not only external, but it's also internal, isn't it? I was thinking about that this week, thinking about my own experience growing up in the church, and it seems to me that my experience in church has been that people, when they come to church, tend to want to keep one another at arm's length. Uh, the, the, The interactions rarely go beyond superficial. When we pray together... Uh, we, we, we might mention someone else who's sick, or, or even if we're, if we're sick or experiencing some kind of physical ailment, we'll mention those things. But we rarely ever talk about maybe um, family struggles that we're having or, or, or spiritual battles that we may be facing. And I, I, I worry that we live in now an increasingly dangerous era where we have that same phenomenon is happening in the local church, But then we have things like the internet and social media where there is this air of false sincerity where we we are pretending like we're we're, uh, sharing our lives with people when really what we're doing is we're curating our lives to be seen by other people the way uh, someone might curate a museum. We want them to see the best parts or we might want them to see the really ugly parts because either way we're just wanting them to we're wanting to get attention rather than actually sharing our life with them in a meaningful way it's 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 another way of keeping people at arms length while pretending that we're being open and so the reality is the church has always been and continues to be a place where something incredibly countercultural can can happen if we'll let it The local church is a place where we don't have to perform. Biblical fellowship means that we we don't have to remain anonymous, but that we can be known and still loved. And there's a word that we use for that. I think probably the best word we would use for when someone is really known and yet they're still loved, the best word for that is family. Because family is where those are the people who know you the best And yet as strange as you might be, as weird as you might be, as many ticks as you might have, they still love you. That's what church can and should be. That's what God calls us to be. It calls us to be a place where we can be known. We can really open our life up to someone and know that they're still going to love us. It means that we, we have these opportunities to encourage one another through prayer and through tangible acts of kindness. And this m- kind of mutual encouragement is essential to our endurance as believers. It is essential. I, I want to really emphasize that point. That if we are going to make it, then we have we have to have one another. We need one another. You can see a glimpse of that here in Acts 2 where... The church is sharing things in common and certainly as the book of Acts goes on and the church begins to really experience pressure from the outside, they have to lean on one another. But I want to point your attention as well to what Paul says of of Philemon in Philemon 7. He says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. There are two layers there. Philemon's love for the church refreshed the hearts of the saints. Notice that Paul was not the direct recipient of that love or that refreshing. He doesn't say, Philemon, I'm I'm thankful because your love refreshed my heart. He says, I derive joy and comfort because you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Because you, your love for the church has refreshed them and helped them to endure. And just because I have observed that, it has given me joy and comfort and helped me to endure. Paul was writing this letter during a really difficult season in his life. And he says to Philemon, Philemon, even though I am not a direct recipient of your kindness... I am encouraged by what I see you doing among the church. Biblical fellowship has the ability to do that. God can use it to help us endure through difficult seasons. The third purpose of biblical fellowship is correction. The third purpose of biblical fellowship is correction. So fellowship is primarily formative. Uh, It helps to form us into the likeness of Christ and to endure what He's commanded us to do. But if we are opening our lives up to one another, we're going to encounter things in one another that are not Christ-like. So there are times when biblical fellowship will mean that we need to correct one another. And this too is an expression of our love for and partnership with one another. Now there are several places in the New Testament that explain how this works, but I want to uh, I want to point us to Galatians 6, one because this really gives us a sense of how correction fits into biblical fellowship. Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now in, <clears throat> in Matthew 18, Jesus outlines the process for what to do if, if someone has sinned against you. But here in Galatians 6, Paul is describing a situation in which this person may not have sinned directly against you, but they are caught, as he says, in any transgression. Some kind of transgression they are caught in. In other words, this is not someone who just kind of slipped up and they they, oops, they accidentally did blank or whatever. But there's a pattern of sin that is observable in their life. They are caught in some transgression And in that case, God commands us to restore Him. And when Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore Him, he's referring to those who have the Spirit, to those who are being led by the Spirit. In other words, other believers do this. It's not just pastors or church leaders. Anyone in the church can do this. And the phrase, restore Him, is really, really important. That phrase, you who are spiritual should restore Him, it carries the idea of setting a joint back in place. So, the church is described as the body of Christ, right? And in the body of Christ, sometimes body parts get out of line. Bones get out of joint. And they have to be restored. You don't, if, the, if, you're, you know, if your shoulder gets out of joint, you don't just cut the arm off, right? <laughs> that would be kind of an overreaction. You, you set it back in joint, but you do that with gentleness, because it hurts. And because you know that one day your shoulder might be out of joint, And uh, you want them to put your shoulder back in joint with the same gentleness that you did with them. None of us are exempt from this, which is why we're told to do it in a spirit of gentleness. Keeping watch on ourselves, lest we too be tempted. And in whatever situation, the goal is always to restore. It's not about tearing one another down. It's not about walking around and sort of policing everyone and being harsh and quarrelsome and looking to pick a fight. It's also not about gossip and slander. Those are contrary to Christ's likeness and to biblical fellowship. But if we are opening up our lives to one another, we are going to encounter sin in one another. And so biblical fellowship means not only that we encourage one another positively, but also that there may be times when we need to correct one another gently. When we may need to gently say to someone we love and know, hey, I think you need to rethink this or I think you might need to think about what you said or what you did or what you didn't say or what you didn't do. It means that we're going to need to encourage one another, not only in a positive way, but also to correct one another gently. The fourth purpose of biblical fellowship is mission. Biblical fellowship serves the purpose of mission. You can see that here in Acts 2, how crucial the church's health was to the church's mission After speaking of their devotion to God's Word and to prayer and to one another, Luke concludes in verse 47, "...and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved." So God used a healthy church to adorn the message of the gospel. The church was healthy. They loved one another. They were devoted to truth and to love and compassion and to partnership. And God used that to draw people to Himself. Biblical fellowship served the mission of the church. It also serves the mission of the church beyond its own community. The book of Philippians is kind of like a a God inspired missionary newsletter. Paul wrote it to a church that was a faithful partner with him, and I want you to listen to what he says in Philippians 1. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel. And the word partnership in Philippians 1.5 is the same word translated as fellowship in Acts 2.42. The Philippians partnered with Paul in his mission. He says, I'm thankful because of your partnership in the gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean that they partnered with Paul in the gospel? Well, I encourage you to read the book of Philippians sometimes. It's a fairly brief book and you can get a sense of what it means, but I'll kind of point out a few big picture things. As you read the rest of the letter, you find that the Philippians prayed consistently for Paul. They they expressed their love for him by praying for him. They supported him financially. He, he explicitly thanks them for how they had... Uh, helped him, had supported him, and partnered with him financially. And they generally expressed their concern and love for him. In fact, maybe the most famous verse in Philippians 4 is where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But do you know what comes right after that? The very next breath, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And that word share is partner, partner. It was kind of you to have fellowship in my trouble, in my sufferings. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it sure was nice of you that you cared enough to partner with me in my trouble. Which is to say that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him because the church was partnered with him to love and care for him in the midst of his hardships. So the church helped Paul to endure in the mission God had given him. Biblical fellowship serves not only for our endurance in life, but also for our endurance in mission. It means that we're working toward the same goal of making disciples of all nations. And then the fifth purpose of biblical fellowship is God's glory. This should be self-evident because all things ultimately are for the purpose of God's glory. But it's important for us to see that our fellowship with one another exists to point the world to the glory of God. Romans 15, Paul says, May God grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God. This is what is at stake when it comes to biblical fellowship. The glory of God. Not only because our sanctification and our endurance and our mission glorify Him, but because our harmony with one another and with Jesus glorifies Him. I I love that phrase that Paul uses there, where he says that God would grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. The goal is not just to get along with one another, but it's collectively to get along with Jesus So we all need to be in harmony with one another, but we need to make sure that we're tuned to the right pitch, which is Jesus. And through our Christ-like unity and love for one another, we glorify God. So I want us to to sort of raise the stakes when we think about fellowship. It's not just kind of a nice thing to do, but that it exists for the glory of God. Now, What are some practical things we can all do? I want to give you three practical things that we can all do starting today. First, pray. Pray, pray, pray for other believers. Pray for other believers. This is one of the chief ways that we express our fellowship and our partnership with one another is by praying for one another. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. If you want to increase in your love for someone, praying for them is a good place to start. For one thing, if there's someone in the church that you don't know very well and you want to get to know them, ask them, how can I pray for you? And guess what? You'll get to know them because you'll start to learn about their life. You'll start to learn about the things they care about when they tell you, how they, how you can pray for them? What if there's somebody that you you don't really like? I've had this happen before. I can remember uh, right when I started seminary, there was a guy in our cohort that I just didn't like. He just rubbed me the wrong way. You know what? I started doing. I started praying for him every day. And you know what? We became good friends <laughs> because it's hard to harbor some kind of ill will or just general dislike towards someone when you're praying for them regularly. So if you have difficulty loving someone, that's a good thing to do. Pray for them. And as you pray for other believers, pray also for the global church. There's a very simple discipline that I want to commend to you. It's something that I try to do myself. I don't always do it, but I try to. Whenever I see some kind of news event about something that's happened out there in the world, whether it's a wildfire in California or a tornado in Texas, or a mass shooting, or a terrorist attack, or some kind of geopolitical development, I try to discipline myself as I'm processing that story to pause and consider how is this that I'm hearing about, how is it going to affect my brothers and sisters in Christ in that part of the world? How are those wildfires in California going to affect churches, believers there, How is the fact that the United States withdrew troops from Syria going to affect believers in that part of the world? How is uh, that mass shooting that happened in wherever it happened this week, how is that going to affect believers wherever that is? Um, Perhaps some of them were directly impacted by whatever happened. Perhaps it will give the church there an opportunity to minister, uh, an opportunity for the, the gospel to advance. We all have lenses through which we view the world, but... We need to try to discipline ourselves to let the primary lens be not American or, or partisan, but as followers of Christ. So that's one way we can practice practically biblical fellowship is by, um, by praying for other believers, both believers that we know and even for believers that we may not know. Um, the second uh, practical thing we can do is we can give for the mission of the church give for the mission of the church. I, 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 I get squeamish talking about money. I don't like talking about money. I shouldn't get squeamish, but I do. Jesus talked a lot about money. There, there's a lot of talk about money in the Bible, but you know, you know, so many people take advantage of it and I don't want to ever come across that way. But you cannot escape the fact that one of the ways the New Testament church expressed their fellowship with one another was through mutual financial commitment. I'm not suggesting that uh, we need to all go sell everything and redistribute it or anything like that. But uh, we're certainly commanded to, to give cheerfully, to give as each has decided in their own heart. Um, and so giving is one way that we partner together, one way that we work toward common goals. Uh, so when you give each week, I mean, if, if you put some money in the offering plate every week... You are helping to support the mission of our church in this community, but also around the world because a portion of what you give every week is going to help support six Southern Baptist seminaries. It's going to support the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. It's helping support disaster relief, military chaplains, um, all, all manner of things. I especially want to urge you to consider prayerfully what God would have you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. I know that we just got through Halloween and so you know some people don't like to talk about Christmas just yet, but it's two months away uh, whether we want it to be or not. And this is one of the most strategic offerings that we receive each year precisely because 100% of what you give to that Christmas offering goes to support missionaries around the world. We don't keep any of it. We send it all to support missionaries. And so if you're anything like my family, we're already uh, budgeting for Christmas gifts and starting to buy some. So, you know, why not go ahead and budget for that kind of kingdom giving as you're uh, preparing for the rest of the Christmas season? Okay, third way that we can all practice uh, biblical fellowship is open your life to someone. Open your life to someone um, you don't just need to pray for others. You don't just need to encourage others. All of us need people who know us, who can pray for us, who can encourage us. We've been trying to cultivate some of this at prayer meeting on Wednesday nights by breaking people up into smaller groups and Sunday nights by breaking up men and women. Those are good opportunities for you to, to open your life up to someone. Ultimately, however, it's, it's up to you and I want to just simply suggest to you that it is, it is humbling. You, you have to humble yourself to do that, to let someone in. Because it means that you're, you're confessing, I'm not entirely self-sufficient. Uh, I do have struggles. There are things that I need you to pray for me about. I do need, you know, there are ways that you could encourage me, maybe even ways that you could correct me or give me some wisdom So I want to encourage you to do that, to think about uh, someone to whom you can open up your life, someone who can uh, be someone who knows you, who can pray for you, who can encourage you in personal ways, not in vague ways. You need to exercise some wisdom in choosing uh, to whom you would open up your life, but I want to encourage you. We have not been designed, God has not designed us to hold one another at arm's length. He has not designed us to keep relationships superficial. For the glory of God and for the good of your own soul, let someone in. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment, and this is our opportunity to respond to God's Word. I want to leave us with a very simple yet profound thought as we end this morning. As we've been thinking about fellowship, we've been primarily thinking this morning on what we might call the, the horizontal plane about our, our fellowship with one another. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The God who created all things, the God who has all power, all wisdom, humbled himself and became flesh to welcome us into the fellowship of the Godhead. Not that we would become divine, but that we would be united to one who is by faith. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That is a gift we can receive by God's grace, through faith in Jesus. If you've never received that gift, I hope you will today. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You for uh, Your love and mercy that You have so graciously extended through Your Son, Jesus. We thank You for Your Word in which You have announced uh, Your work and the accomplishment of that redemption. We thank You for Your Spirit by whom You apply that work to us. And so, Spirit of God, we pray that You would move in our hearts, impress the Word that we've heard today upon us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts to respond in faith and repentance. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.